0: morning from Genesis chapter 20. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech king of Gerar sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should not be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, There is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his slave girls, so they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife. Sarah.
1: Good morning. Let's pray, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here together as your people, to worship you, to hear from you. And Lord, as we look into your word together, I pray you'd speak to our hearts. We desperately need to know you better. We need to know you as a God of faithfulness and of grace who looks upon us with mercy even as we struggle and fail. And The story, Lord, is such a great picture of your faithfulness and your love, even in the midst of our struggles. So may our eyes be opened more fully to who we are and who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing our wonderful journey through Genesis, and we're in the life of Abraham. And we're following his journey of faith as he learns to trust God and walk with him. And God originally came to him, and said, when he was 75 years old, and said, leave your land and come with me into a land I will show you, and I will bless you, and I will make you a blessing to all the nations. So Abraham began walking with God, and he failed and struggled, and yet God continued to confirm his covenant. And now it's nearly 25 years later. And God had promised that he would make him a great nation, that he would give him a seed, a child, a descendant, through whom God would make a huge, wonderful nation. But now, as I said, it's nearly 25 years later and there's still no child. Abraham's nearly 100 years old. But God is ready to fulfill that promise now. And it's clear at this point, this promise could only be fulfilled by God. No human, In no human way could this ever happen. So God is about to fulfill the promise, but before he does next week, we'll look at the next passage, there's this wonderful story in Genesis 20 where we see Abraham struggling to trust God and failing. Why is this here? Why didn't God just go ahead and give him the child he'd promised? Well, I think he wants... Abraham to know and he wants us to know that God fulfills his promises to us not because we do it all right, but because he is faithful, because he is merciful. So let's look into the story together and see how we learn that about God through this story. I was talking with a friend who really wanted to please God, who was struggling to do what was right, but He had a persistent area of sin in his life. In his case, it was anger. And it kept coming up, and just now and then with his family, with his wife and with his kids. And he was coming to me to deal with it because they were fed up. Now his attitude was, well, you know, it's just something that's been there. I've always struggled with it. I don't know why they get so upset. You know, I just, I hardly ever do it. And so he kind of dismissed his problem. He didn't see it as big as they saw it. What do you do with those areas of persistent sin in your life? Those areas that maybe you've struggled with, you've prayed about, you've tried to deal with, but they just keep coming up over and over again, periodically. They seem to cling to you kind of like dog hair, cat hair, you know? You brush them off and, and they show up somewhere else and you can never quite get rid of them. They just kind of follow you around. I've talked with a number of believers who have had the same experience as me, which is I came to Christ. I was excited. I saw God doing great things in my life and, and I was so thrilled with what God was doing and it was an exciting time. But then as the years went by, I began to see areas in my life that some areas would change, but other areas seemed to be much more persistent and deeply rooted in my life. And as I struggled against those, I began to feel guilty and overwhelmed. I had tendency to kind of dismiss them, well, you know, that's just what I always struggled with, and, but felt guilty and shame, and eventually it's easy to get to a place where we just kind of say, well, I guess I'll never really change. Well, Abraham was a great man of faith. He is an example in the Old Testament and the New Testament of somebody who trusted God. And yet, he had areas of sin as well. <laughs> He struggled to trust God with areas that he had a hard time really dealing with, really facing, really repenting of. He, like us, was a mixture of faith and fear, of trust and of persistent sin in his life. So let's look at this passage and see what we can learn about ourselves and about God through it. It begins as... uh, Val read it. Now Abraham journeyed from there towards the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur, and then he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now Abraham is a wanderer through the land, living in a tent, going from place to place. He had just, last week as we saw watched Sodom and Gomorrah get destroyed. And I don't know why he headed south, but for some reason he headed south, further south to the southern end of the land of Israel, and there he ends up hanging out in a little city, a small city that's a Philistine city, Gerar, Canaanite city. And there, as he's hanging out there, he does something that he had done nearly 25 years before. He claims that Sarah is his sister, not his wife. He again deceives the people. I say again because you may recall back in Genesis chapter 12, God had just called Abraham out of the land of Haran and he came through Israel and there was a famine, so he kept on going all the way down to Egypt and there he was afraid, so he said the same thing, oh Sarah, she's... She's my sister. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Well, she really was his wife, but as we're told, he was afraid. He was afraid that the Pharaoh would see this beautiful wife. And remember, she was about 65 years old at that time. She must have been a stunning beauty because Pharaoh took her into his harem, which was something that was common in the kings of those days. If they saw someone who was beautiful... They would take him into the harem because having many beautiful women in your harem was a sign of virility, of power, of might. And so he took her in, and of course, God, if you remember, you can read back in Genesis chapter 12 how God sent plagues on Pharaoh and set Sarah free, protected her, and then blessed Abraham, and they left. Now, you would think, you would hope that Abraham would have learned his lesson That was not a good thing to do with his wife. But he hasn't. He does it again. (laughs) Nearly 25 years later. And what's amazing is, think about it, Sarah is now nearly 90 years old. And Abimelech sees her and says, Whoa, what a babe. (laughs) 90 years old, takes her into his harem, just like Pharaoh had done nearly 25 years before. Sarah must have been amazing. So he does it again. Same sin, the same deceit, the same deal. Now you may say, well, why is this so bad? Why is this so bad? Well, let me give you several reasons why I think it's bad. For one, it is lying, it's deceit, and it's clearly Abraham's out to protect himself. He says a little further in the passage, that he was just afraid, that there was no fear of God in the land, so he thought, man, they're going to kill me to get my wife because she's beautiful still. So I'll just say she's my sister, so they won't kill me so they can have access to her. He justifies it, but it's deceit, it's lying. It shows that there's a persistent sin that he has not dealt with, even after 25 years of walking with God. But secondly, this is a terrible thing to do because think of the betrayal it was to Sarah. He'd done it before and now he's done it again. And the indication is, as you read on in the passage, it says, well, this is what I asked Sarah to do every place we went. So they probably, he probably did it a number of times, more than just these two. It's a terrible betrayal of her. Imagine how Sarah felt. I'm married to this man. He's supposed to love me and protect me and guard me. And because he's scared, he's going to protect his own skin by saying I'm his sister. And then she gets taken into Abimelech's hair. This Canaanite Philistine king, it had to be terrifying for her. It's a betrayal of their marriage. But it's even worse I think. I mean, that's bad enough, right? But it's even worse, I think, because it's a betrayal of the very covenant promises of God. God had come to Abraham just a few weeks before this and said, I'm ready to fulfill my promise. In a year from now, you'll be holding your newborn son. And so the promise was there that Sarah and Abraham were going to have a son. Finally, the promise would be fulfilled after 25 years, that it would be tremendous, and they're looking forward to it. And all of a sudden, now Sarah's been abandoned by Abraham, and she's in the harem of a foreign king. They're not even together. How are they going to consummate this and have a child? It's a threat to the very covenant promises of God. Abraham's selfishness, his selfish, persistent sin, his fear and self-protection have jeopardized his marriage, his family, and the whole redemptive plan of God. This is a persistent sin in Abraham's life. We see it over and over again. It's like a persistent cough that keeps coming up, right? And you can't get rid of it. It's back again. It's there. It came up again. He's fearful and self-protective. And at some level, we never see him repent of it. He doesn't let it go. I think this challenges us as we consider this about our own lives is what are the persistent sins in our lives? What are the things that we may have really prayed about and tried to get rid of, but they just keep hanging around? They keep clinging to us, and we can't seem to get rid of it. They keep coming back. Maybe in your case, it's anger, like my friend, that it just keeps coming up again. Maybe it's lust that you've struggled with and it just keeps coming back and you try to deal with it and you pray about it, but it's there again. Maybe it's some kind of lying or deceit, selfishness. Maybe it's gossip. You know it's wrong, but you just can't can't let go of those juicy morsels. You just have to know and you have to pass it on. Maybe it's a critical spirit that you find yourself just criticizing everybody else to kind of build yourself up and you just have a hard time letting that go. Maybe it's self-protection like Abraham where he's just afraid so he's got to protect himself even though it does harm to other people like his family. Maybe it's some kind of addiction you can't get rid of. If you think about your own life, you know there are things like that persistent sins that are there that you have a hard time getting rid of we all have these but i think it's important that we look at the consequences we when we hang on to these things when we don't let them go and they keep coming back there are consequences god is a forgiving god it's true he forgives us every time but that doesn't mean there aren't consequences in our lives whether we see them or not they Sin always does harm. And these kind of sins that are persistent that we just keep doing, they keep coming back, can become generational sins. Do you know what I mean? They can get passed on to further generations, future generations. We see that in Abraham's case. His son Isaac isn't even born yet. And yet over in chapter 26, Isaac, when he grows up and is married, Guess what he does? The exact same thing. He takes a trip with Rebekah, goes to Gerar, the same place, to Abimelech, who is probably the son or grandson of this Abimelech, and he says the same thing. Oh, she's my sister. See, sins, if they're not repented of, get passed on from generation to generation. My dad was a good man in many ways, and I learned some good things from him. He didn't come to Christ till later in his life, though, and there were things in his life that affected me, that got passed on. And his dad was very passive, my grandfather. In a lot of ways, he wouldn't deal with confrontation. He, he would flee from it. He avoided difficult situations. And my dad did the same thing. And I found one of the things I've battled in my life is that same thing. Now, I think God is leading me and has led me over the years to begin repenting of it, but it's still a battle in my life because that's the way sin is. You see, when it's unrepented of, it gets passed on. Now, when one person's willing to repent, the cycle can get broken. Praise God for that. But we need to be willing to do that, to really repent. So how does God respond? Abraham's blowing it. He doesn't seem to be getting it. And if God was like us, He might say, Abraham, it's been 25 years. You keep doing the same thing. I've had it. You're done. I'm going to go find someone else to carry out the promise. But praise God He's not like us. (laughs) Praise God that He's committed to being faithful to His promises. Whether we are faithful or faithless, God will be faithful to his promises. And that's a truth that we can hang on to, to trust him. As we saw, he was faithful because he came and he confronted Abimelech in a dream. Now imagine how it must have felt. Here's Abimelech getting a good night's sleep. He's enjoying life. Everything's going well. And God came to Abimelech in a dream at night and said to him, "Uh, By the way, Abimelech, you're dead. (laughs) You are a dead man. You blew it, buddy, because Sarah is a married woman. He was terrified. He had to be terrified. God has stepped in, in his faithfulness, to protect Sarah and confront Abimelech. I think it's a wonderful story. And, but Abimelech, notice what he does. He defends himself and he says in verse 4, He had not come near to her and he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? Didn't he himself say to me, she's my sister and she herself said he's my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Notice, this is a pagan king, a Philistine king, a Canaanite king. And yet when God confronts him, he says, I'm innocent. Check my heart. Check my actions. I've been innocent here. Would you really be that unfair, God? And how does God respond to him? God says, I know, Abimelech. I know you've been upright in this. I know you have integrity of heart. You've been righteous in how you've responded. This was not your fault. I know that he lied to you. God confirms the integrity of this pagan king. Isn't that an amazing thing? God confirms the integrity of the pagan king. Now, I think this is a good lesson for us. As believers, we must not write off all unbelievers as bad. You know, last chapter we saw Sodom was bad. They were evil and God destroyed them. And sometimes as believers, we like to point out there at the world and say, you know, all those unbelievers boy, they're terrible and whatever. But what this shows us is that no, unbelievers are like us. They are a mixture of good and evil. Why? Because they're created in God's image. Every one of us is. And every human being carries the image of God within them. And that means that they are capable of great good and they are capable of great evil. Both. Every human being. And so we must be careful not to point fingers too quickly because like Abraham, we are the same. We are a mixture and we're capable of great good and we're capable of great evil even if we have the Spirit of God in us. If we make the wrong choices and do not trust Him. What does this passage teach us about God? That even though Abraham is unfaithful, God is faithful. He's faithful to protect Sarah. He's faithful to be committed to his promise, to make sure it happens. He's faithful to his covenant with Abraham and with his descendants. He's faithful to protect his redemptive plan. And get this, this is hard for us to understand, even our sin can't destroy the redemptive purposes of God. God is that great, that powerful, that committed to be faithful to what He has promised, that even our sin can't destroy the redemptive purposes of God. He will always be faithful to anyone who will respond to Him in faith. He will. I remember the story of Ted Bundy, the serial killer, who near the end of his life he was on death row and... James Dobson went and visited him and shared Christ with him. And in that period, he committed his life to Christ. Gave his life to God. And here's a man who'd lived a terrible life, but I believe will be in heaven with us. And many of us say, well, that's not fair. You're right. (laughs) It's not fair. But you know what? If God was really fair we'd all be in hell right now, all of us. There wouldn't be a single person here that would not be there if God were fair. God is not fair in that sense. What He is is faithful to respond to anyone that will come to Him in faith and trust Him. And then He begins walking with us and helping us grow, but He understands that we will still struggle to trust Him. You see, God is always faithful to his people. And like Abraham, God is faithful to him. He will be faithful to us. We can rest in him. We can trust in his good purposes for us and in his love for us. Well, Abraham goes on and Abimelech now confronts him. It says, hey, what, what is this? What have you done to me? You got me in big trouble with God. <laughs> you lied to me and look... I, I never touched your wife, but, you know, I I had no idea. Why did you do this to me? And you notice what Abraham does as a response, verse 11 and following. He justifies his sin. He says, Well, I did this because surely there's no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Now, What's interesting is the way the story is laid out, Abraham was wrong. He says, I was afraid because there's no fear of God in this place, and so I thought you were going to kill me. The truth is, the way the story is laid out, Abimelech has more faith than Abraham does. Abraham never prays in this story until right at the very end. Abimelech has a great prayer life. It's pretty desperate. (laughs) But he's praying to God. And God confirms his integrity. But here, Abraham was wrong. There was fear of God in this place. But because he didn't think there was, he says, and besides, actually, she is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. Well, you know, I could justify it because she is my half-sister. And it's still deceit, right? He's still denying the fact that she was his wife. And it came about, verse 13, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, this is the kindness you will show to me everywhere we go. Say of me, he is my brother. You see, he explains and justifies his sin, but Abraham never repents of it. He never apologizes to Abimelech. He's kind of got this, it's so rooted in him that he explains it away. And we never see him really deal with it. Again, this raises questions for you and for me. In those areas that we struggle with, these persistent sins, how, how do we justify and rationalize them? How do we do that? These are excuses that I've either said or I've heard from other people, and there's many more, but let me just give you a few. Um, I've always been that way. You know, since I was a kid, I've always been that way. So, hey, go easy on me. You know, I have a reason for why I'm this way. Because I've always been this way. Or, it's my parents' fault. You know, they, they treated me a certain way and then I respond this way and that's why I struggle so much in this area. They should have dealt with me differently, but because they didn't, that's why I struggle. It's so easy to justify our sin, isn't it? Another excuse we make. Well, you just don't understand. I've had it hard. I've got all this, baggage in my past, people have done to me, the abuse, whatever it is. And if you you really understood how hard it's been for me, how people have sinned against me, then you wouldn't expect me to change. Or the world is a dangerous place and I have to protect myself. And that's why I crawl into my hole and I am afraid like Abraham is and I'm selfish. Or, well, God's a forgiving God. I know He'll forgive me. I know this is wrong, but God's a forgiving God. And so, you know what? Um, I'm just going to count on His forgiveness. All of these justifications are dangerous. Again, is God forgiving? Absolutely. Absolutely. But when we choose to not deal with areas that God's pointing to in our lives then, and not repent of those and really give them to the Lord and learn to trust Him with those areas, then there are consequences that affect those around us. And like Abraham, we lose the opportunity to have an impact for the kingdom of God. See, Abraham should have gone to Gerar, and he should have been, as a person of integrity, a representative of the living king. And he had the opportunity to be a blessing to these people. Is he a blessing? No. In fact, the Philistine king looks like more of a blessing than Abraham. It's it's all confused because Abraham chose to hang on to his old sin. I just want to make a comment. This also raises the question, I think, of how we as Christians relate to the world around us. Christians throughout history have struggled with that. Do, how do we deal with the world out there that doesn't believe in God? Well, Lot, as we saw last week, his way was to just get so enmeshed in Sodom, so enmeshed in the world, that he totally lost his testimony. He had no integrity left because he assimilated into the world. Abraham here, he's so afraid of the world that he backs off and is deceitful and untrustworthy, and he loses his opportunity to have impact in the world as well. You see, Jesus wants us to be in the world, but not of it. He wants us to have non-Christian friends and be out there where we work and where we live, rubbing shoulders with unbelievers, but living as people of integrity. So the people will look at us and they'll say, there's something different about you. I want to know the God that you know. That's the high calling of Abraham and of us. He says, I bless you, not so you can just enjoy the blessings, but I bless you so that you can be a blessing to those around you. That's our calling. That's Abraham's calling. And when we do give in to sin, we miss the opportunity to be the blessing God wants us to be. So again, how does God respond to Abraham's justification of his sin? With grace. (laughs) Abimelech says, hey, here, take all these wonderful things, including a thousand pieces of silver, which was more than most people could earn in a lifetime. It was a huge amount of money. And he said, you can choose any of the land you want, but I just want to make sure that there's complete integrity here, that you know I had nothing to do with this, and that... You ha- can hold nothing over me. So here, just be blessed. And so God blesses Abraham, and then God blesses, uses Abraham to bless Abimelech. He prays so that their wombs are opened, that they were not able to have children because, because Abimelech had taken Sarah into his harem. And so here's Abraham, who had just blown it, still hasn't really repented of his sin, and yet God honors him, blesses him, and gives him the opportunity to be a blessing to Abimelech even though he's still struggling. Isn't God an amazing God of grace? He doesn't act the way we would, praise God. He's a God of faithfulness and a God of grace, a God of mercy. When we are faithless, God is faithful. Bruce Walkey puts it this way, God does not cast aside his flawed saint but He restores him in order to work His elective purposes through him. And so God does with us. When we blow it, He does restore us. He restores His flawed saints. When God is, when we are faithless, God is faithful. He continues to be faithful. Why? Because Abraham is a member of God's people. He is has made a covenant. God made a covenant with him. And it's the same with you and I. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we become children of the covenant. And God blesses us not because we do it all right. But like Abraham, God blesses us because God is faithful to those he has made a covenant with. And when you put your faith in Christ, you become a member of a covenant people of God. So that's really the question for us this morning. Am I a member of the covenant community? If so, then God will bless you, period. In His way, in His timing, maybe not the way you wanted to be blessed, but He will bless you for the purposes of His kingdom. So the question is not, are you a good person? Are you doing things right? Do you go to church regularly? The question is, have you put your faith in Jesus so that you've become part of the covenant community of God? If you haven't, I encourage you to do it now because then you are under God's blessing and He will use you for His purposes. That's a great encouragement of this passage. He is faithful and full of grace. But at the same time, this passage is a warning to us, isn't it? That if we let those persistent areas of sin live in us, and we don't deal with them, that there will be consequences. We will miss out on God's purposes for our lives, and that can get passed on to others, our friends, our neighbors, our children, etc. So let me give you some encouragements. If you have areas you need to repent of, and of course we all do, (laughs) let me give you four things that you should do, I think, to repent of those areas, to begin to deal with them. First, find close friends that you can share your struggle with who will hold you accountable. And meet with them weekly. It has to be regular. And make sure they're asking you hard questions. How are you doing in this area? And that you pray for one another. But we need the community, the body of Christ, to help us grow in these tough areas. Secondly, you may need to seek Christian counseling or wise counsel from a wise Christian brother or sister who can give you input that, that maybe will help you deal with some of the deeper issues that, that there are roots to your struggle that you can't see, but maybe they can. Third, if you're going to grow in Christ, you have to pursue spiritual disciplines. You just can't get around it, folks, because the only way you can really grow in Christ is to get to know Him better and better. So you need to be reading the Word. You need to be praying regularly. You need to be finding times of solitude. You need to be uh, seeking Him and taking time to make that a priority in your life because it's God in you that will help you grow and change. So pursue spiritual disciplines. And then finally... Make sure others are praying for you regularly. Prayer is powerful. We see that in the book of Genesis. Prayer is powerful. Lot was saved last week because Abraham prayed. So intercede for one another and find people to pray for you. If you have an area of sin, say, please pray for me in this area. You see, God is a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of faithfulness. But he also wants us to learn to trust him in those tough areas of our lives. Yes, he'll forgive you. But he also wants you to be free to be used for his kingdom. So let's encourage one another and let's trust him with those areas that are holding us back, shall we? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this passage. Thank you for this picture of Abraham because it reminds us of us. For we are like him, learning to trust you, and yet so often we struggle and fail. And I pray, Lord, that you'd use this passage by the power of your Spirit to help us trust you more as a God who is faithful to the covenant. But that would also, Lord, you'd use this passage to help us face the areas that we maybe justify, areas of sin, and help us learn to repent and give those to you so that we might be more useful for the kingdom of God. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.